Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 67 of Jen and Millie, where a Gen Xer and a millennial share the strength-based perspective through which they view the world. We are your hosts, Allison and Tess. Hi, Tess. Hi. How's it going? <laughs> I wondered if we shouldn't maybe, um, you know, not that anyone would wonder, but if we have new listeners, if they would wonder why this is called Jen and Millie and which of the two of us is the Gen Xer and which of the two of us is the millennial. Okay, sure. Why don't you go ahead, communication? <laughs> I just thought the other day um, when I saw some of the um, doing Facebook live um, has allowed me to see some of the traffic on Facebook. And so I saw that Jen and Millie was shared and I thought, you know, if you weren't familiar with it or you didn't know us, you would kind of maybe wonder why is there a bitmoji of somebody holding their coffee cup? Um, And it's a reality (laughs) so I think um it'd be good for us to kind of just Mm -hmm. briefly explain that um these conversations started because we knew we had generational differences in the workplace and we saw the avenue I think the pathway to have some dialogue about it Mm -hmm. in a fun way but also in a strength-based lens Mm -hmm. um there are some parallels because the likelihood of you seeing the world the way that I do from your generational perspective is not um, mm-hmm. possible. Yeah. Um, and the likelihood of me being able to see the world from your exact strengths perspective is yeah. not possible because we, we come with those um, different lenses. Mm-hmm. So I am a Gen Xer born in 1975. And one of the things that I'm learning during um, this time of quarantine and time of pause is how Gen Xers are being portrayed in finally, maybe a positive way. Um, I think we've kind of been, there's been a lot of assumptions about uh, Gen Xers as there have been massive assumptions about millennials. So I'll let you from your perspective, share your generation. Yep. So I'm a millennial and millennials have gotten really bad raps. (laughs) So I am proud to be a millennial representative um, on our podcast. So it's called Jen and Millie uh, because you're a Gen Xer and I'm a millennial. People are like, what are those middle names? Where do they come from? So they um, are based on uh, shorthands of our generational differences. Um, and uh, and we are grateful um, just for the opportunity to talk and to share our perspectives. I think um, when I think about what we do, it is not just generation, right? Generations influence our perspectives, but as you mentioned, it's also a strength perspective. And so the intersectionality of our unique strengths, as well as our generation make for, I think they're just very interesting dialogue uh, when it comes to talking about what's going on in the world, what we're working on personally, what we want to challenge people to do. And so um, when I try to describe this to people who don't know what I do, don't necessarily know what teammates do, it's really hard you know, to, to kind of describe the full extent of it. But I, I say, you know, it's um, a coworker and I who get the opportunity to, to share about and process through the, all of the things in life, the good, the bad, and the ugly through an asset-based perspective, a strength-based perspective, as well as filtering it through the unique um, generation in which we were born. So um, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to have these conversations. I know that we say it a lot that, the conversations themselves, I think, are just so beneficial for me. We don't 
need a mic in front of us. We don't, you know, we, we, we are now having, you know, we, we just have such great conversations that, um, and they've been so enlightening, I think, for both of us to process through these sorts of things that we just decided, what if we expand these conversations to be able to share them with mentors and coordinators? And now it's expanded far beyond that. And so I'm grateful for everyone who listens. And um, and for me, right, the conversations themselves are helpful. But to me, success looks like one person who takes a question or um, an action item that we pose throughout our conversation and they reflect on it and they do something about it. Um, and I know we have not just one person, but many people um, who do that. And so I'm grateful um, that people find it helpful um, to, sh to for us to open our conversations like this. Will you remind everyone how um, what year you were born? Oh, I was born in 1994. So for those doing the quick math, um, there's about a 20-year age gap um, between um, Tess and I. And the fun part of that discovery, not that I didn't know that, but the fun part of that discovery is that I think we recognize that our mentors and mentees are bound to have these same kind of mm -hmm. illuminations from the generational perspective, from the strengths perspective, because our mentors and mentees have um, a significant age gap between them. Yeah. Our mentors and mentees are not likely to have the same, same strength set. Mm -hmm. So part of the reason we wanted to include the rest of the universe in these dialogues is so that mentors might have some practical ways to build conversation starters. We wanted to practice mm -hmm. what we preach. Yeah. And um, I think that we do a really good job trying um, mm -hmm. to do that. <laughs> also trying to practice growth mindset and also holding each other accountable. So I do want to thank you. We had a conversation recently where you kind of called me out on why I had not looked back at my Facebook live. And so I did. <laughs> you did. <laughs> I didn't you know did. that. I hope you're happy. Now. I'm so happy. Got snow. I hope you're happy. I remember um, I um, probably in, in, maybe this is a testament to the rapport and trust we have in our relationship because I'm pretty sure I called you a hypocrite, <laughs> which, yes, is not, you which is not oh, a label yeah, I throw around but lightly. Okay. <laughs> but I did. And because you were right, um, I really had to think about if I always listen back to Jen and Millie, why would I not apply that same learning to my Facebook Live. And then I had a conversation um, with our friend Dan Kincaid yesterday. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, sometimes it's good to look back and, you know, just kind of learn from our, our presentation. Mm -hmm. As a community theater actress, as an actress growing up, that was something that was critical that you would take a look at your performance and see where you needed to improve. It's really no different than watching tape, you know, yeah. reviewing film if you are an athlete. So I looked back at it and I will tell you, Tess, part of the reason I didn't want to is because I was just petrified it would be terrible. Um, I didn't really prep very much for it and I didn't have great notes. And I like, as you know, I like the PowerPoint behind me, even if I'm not using it, it's a comfort to me. And so because I went so off the cuff, I thought it would be nothing but a series of rambling. It was okay. I can do better, but I do want to thank you for all the ways that you do help me stay accountable and keep me accountable um, and challenge me. Um, that's also part of what we do here. And I think we put that out to everybody with our questions and kind of the things that we ponder. 
and we would expect that mentors and mentees would have some of that happening too, that they would, you know, almost have dialogue at times that may seem a little bit of challenging one another to try new things. So thank you for that. I hope I was also encouraging and not just challenging for you. I thought it was great, yeah. and I'm excited for today's next um, Facebook Live for you. So every Friday, 11 o'clock, tune in to the teammates' Facebook page. <laughs> She's rolling her eyes at me right now because, right? Like I, so I just finished a paper for grad school, and it was all about the importance of community and the importance of people in your life to dismantle bias that you have built up over time. And so, and I talked a lot about how in true community, as I defined it, and I had to spend several pages talking about community, um, you have a, a safe place, right? Safety in terms of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We all have the requirement of safety in our lives. We all need that. Um, and I think that goes beyond the tangible things that make us safe, right? Food and shelter and things like that, um, to emotional safety, to relational safety, um, to uh um, whatever, spiritual safety, however you would interpret that, um, creating safe spaces. But within those safe containers then is the, the true opportunity to have honest dialogue about where you're at and where you want to go. And I'm grateful. I feel like this is a safe container just when I don't think too hard about how many people listen and download to the episodes. <laughs> but I, you know, I'm like, so many people know the challenges that I'm going through right now. <laughs> um, but this is, we've created and cultivated a safe container for that. Um, you know, in through modeling the generational difference in relationship and strength and relationships that we have. Um, and then just also through the great, I mean, listeners who give us feedback and, and answer the questions. And, and I'm just so grateful for that. Um, and so I think that's kind of what's been built as a result of this is that safe container where there's an openness to challenge where we're at and encourage us to where we want to go. So, yeah. Um, great. So I, thank you for doing yeah. that for me. Yeah. So um, I before we get into, we want to do some small business shout outs. Um, I want to give a shout out and I feel like we have um, quite a few times, but I don't know if you read back through um, Tony from Freeman, his email back to us. And I want to share yeah. a little bit of this email because I think it's just I I rarely I, I will appreciate good humor, but I rarely ch chortle out loud. <laughs> where I can't quite, I'm like, I'm trying to think of the right word, like where I could not stop the laughter and it came out. <laughs> and then I was so surprised because I live by myself and it's so quiet that I was kind of like surprised by my own laughter. Um, but he had mentioned, and so I think, I hope that he's okay with us sharing a little bit about this, but he talked about what, uh, on one of our last episodes when we talked about not getting everything done in our to-do list. And I remember us like talking about and, and sharing that we need to give ourselves grace um, during this time, that even though we have more time in our life, we're also so much more emotionally burdened by what's happening. Um, and so we need to give ourselves grace to be okay not getting everything done on our to-do list. And so he said um, that really resonated with him because they, like the first week, they, you know, they created this to-do list, um, him and his family. And the first week they repainted their bathroom. Yes. Then outside stuff. Um, they got taken care of. Then they repainted most of the upstairs and then put everything back together. And then he said, after all this, I looked at my to-do list and I realized that painting was only one line <laughs> on my to-do list. And it was like this list of all the painting. He was like, why didn't I at least put it on two lines? So it seemed like I achieved more because it was a lot of work. And so I just like, I couldn't stop. But just like, yeah, chortle is the only word I can think of, like laughing out loud, just thinking about going back to your to-do list and feeling so accomplished, knowing that that was one element on your to-do list. I just had to give him a shout out for it, the way that he described it. I just could not help but laughing. Yes, <laughs> His email 
Well, and I look forward to so many. Um, I look forward to all of our responses, but yeah. so many of them are so thoughtful. Yeah. And um, we've talked about this before about the emotional feeling, the endorphin that you have when someone you look forward to seeing, when you see their yeah. you know vehicle in the parking lot, or when you see them walk into the room, the way that people who have dogs. Um, you know, the way that your dog greets you at the door, whether you've been gone for five days or five minutes, that endorphin, there are people in my life and many of them are Jen and Millie listeners that when I see their name show up in my email inbox, there's like this Pavlov sort of ding, yay. You know, I feel like this is going to be a really great, a great part of my day. Um, I so appreciate how thoughtful people are on their responses. Um, So we did get a lot of feedback um, from the last um, couple of episodes. And what I loved is that um, what I hear from a lot of people is as as if they're in the room with us. And sometimes they will start talking while we're while they're listening to the podcast. They'll respond to us out loud. If anyone could, you know, possibly capture a video of themselves doing that, I would love to see that. but I think it's so funny that we've made this a safe, con- not funny, it's great that we've made this a safe container that if you're listening to a podcast, you feel like you could chime in. Mm-hmm. That is what my empathy heart yeah. loves about this. Mm-hmm. So I do want to mention some of the personal um, small business shout outs that mm-hmm. were given. Um, you and I had a resounding um, alignment of the connectedness oh when we goodness. talked about Adagio um, soaps and lotions here in Omaha. I've been a fan for a long time. They received a 2018 Alley Award. Um, I know you've been a fan for a long time. Yeah. And our friend Sarah said, here, you know, here are a few of my shout outs. And one of them that she gave was Good Life Pavilion, yeah, their wings life. and their sweet potato fries. You know, she's kind of talking about some restaurants. And then she's like, oh, and, you know, Adagio. And I'm like, what? So, that is super cool. And the fact that that is her cousin and that that was a small business started by a stay home mom yeah. who I believe has a chemistry, chemistry background. Degree. Oh, so I mean, cool. <laughs> I am now forever mm-hmm. a fan. And um, so I wanted to echo this shout out by saying um, if you're in the Omaha or if not, I don't know exactly how this is, is working, but this coming weekend, so we're recording this Friday, April 17th, starting tomorrow, Saturday, April 18th, Handmade Omaha. Um, is having an online spring local business bazaar. So usually they do these um, three times a year. They do like a, sometimes they do a winter, but they, I know they do a spring, summer and fall, like essentially like small um, local business, local makers markets where they gather everybody together in a warehouse kind of down um, by the zoo. Um, they have this space and they people just set up their booths and stuff. And so they could had to cancel their in-person one. So they're doing an online one. Um, and so I'm not sure like what shipping looks like or anything like that. But if you follow Handmade Omaha on any social media platform, you get connected to the event, which has the link to order. And um, Adagio soaps um, and lotions and stuff are on there. I love their candles um, is, um, honestly what I buy from them a lot. Um, and so, and then they have lip or lipstick or chap chapstick too, um, which I really appreciate, but yeah, if you're curious or that sounds interesting and you want to support them or lots of other local business makers, my favorite local jeweler, Heather Keita, she's on there. Um, and so lots of really great businesses all in one place that you can support them. And since it's all online, um, you'll be able to have probably it shipped to you or have like local pickup and things like that. 
So I, I think one of the nice things about this time is that you can, what we get to experience based on our proximity to know about something now is open. Mm -hmm. Not that it wasn't before, but Adagio shifts really well. Normal coffee shifts really well. Yeah. Um, I have to give a, a, a shout out to, um, to Garden Gallery in Elkhorn. And I know I mentioned this last time, but Michelle is amazing. She has some really interesting plants. She, she'll take you, she does Facebook Live where she takes you around the greenhouse and she, um, you can get on the phone and do a virtual kind of thing with her. And she was text, I called and, you know, placed my order for the, these pansy bowls. And then she texted me and she said, how about these? And then, um, I mean, she's just great. She's, she really thinks about a shopping experience. And then a couple other shout outs that um, we got were um, Pinoyer Garden Center in Papillion. Nikki's Chicken in Sioux City, Iowa. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if I'm going to say this right. Is it Seinert's? Seinert's? Bakery and We've McCook. been there many times. I feel like we should know I how to say it. this. We love we it. Should, well, we just call it the place in, in McCook think, that we yeah. love, although we love a lot of places in McCook. Yeah, we do. And a lot of people in McCook. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, Arbor Bank particularly oh, in Nebraska yeah. City branch. It sounds like they're doing a tremendous job supporting um, staff yeah. and local um, businesses. Yeah. And then um, I'm going to throw in Taste of Thailand one more time. Do it. Do it. That's awesome. And I'm going to throw in Night Owl. Um, I don't know that I mentioned them on the podcast, but I shouted out to them on um, Instagram. They are starting to do this weekend a Sunday dinner series. So they've invited um, some of the big name chefs from Omaha um, eateries to be guest chefs at Night Owl and curate their own menu based on their own area of expertise of what they cook. And so this coming Sunday, I can't remember which chef it is, but it's like a Southern cooking. Um, so it's like pulled pork sandwiches, homemade mac and cheese, potato salad, like it's the full, full works of kind of a barbecue or um, uh, cookout kind of thing. There's um, and, and each weekend, each Sunday is a little bit different. So that's kind of cool. I'm going to look into to possibly doing that um, in the future. But they're one of my favorite local places. So um, I've been meaning to, to get dinner from them. So I know this won't sway you. Nothing will sway you to get on Twitter. No. But Dan Hoppen is fantastic to follow. You would love him. He starts his days with a quote from scripture. You would love that. But he has a blog called Restaurant Hoppen, H-O-P-P-E-N. Um, I won't get this right, even close, but I believe his dad was a UNL Husker basketball star. Dave Hoppen, maybe? I don't know. Anyway, Dan. Someone is, is yelling at dad. us. <laughs> He's super tall and thin, and he writes about all kinds of great food in, in the Omaha area. He's got this letter. Um, that his blog starts with it's a, an ode to Omaha restaurants that he does reviews and Tess, you would love the stuff he puts on, mm -hmm. on Twitter. Um, he, and he's a big, big, big fan of hearty coffee, huge fan of hearty coffee and didn't even drink coffee before he started going to hearty coffee. So, um, I don't know, maybe this will be my new challenge to ask our listeners 
what would it take for Tess to get on Twitter? <laughs> that was not where I thought you were going with that challenge at all. I was like, write a, write, you know, write us your favorite food critic review of a local Omaha restaurant. <laughs> nope, your challenge is what would it take to get Tess on Twitter? You or, can do that too. And you I would say too. for it to be an accurate statement, it would, what would it take for Tess to get back on Twitter? I know. Because I, know, I was once on there. But as if it's a new... You, I don't think you've anyway. really known me since I've been on Twitter, so if that helps to put the date into context. But anyway, <laughs> I want to migrate us to kind of a, a question that was posed by one of our regular listen, listeners, Sarah Skaggs, and I feel like we, I feel like people are going to start to know our regular listeners and responders because we give so many shout outs. So if you don't feel like you're friends already with Tony from Freeman, you should be <laughs> because I feel like we <laughs> shout about every episode. If you don't feel like you're friends with Sarah Skaggs and Papillion, I'd love to get like a, a happy hour together of all of our regular listeners so they can meet each other. Ooh, brilliant. My ideation. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. We could do a virtual happy hour of all the people that regularly listen. Okay. So if you haven't, yeah. yeah, if you haven't responded and want to become a regular listener and get an exclusive invite to our virtual happy hour with us, <laughs> respond to this episode. <laughs> but so she had posed this question and I want to read it the way that she wrote it. Agreed. Because I want to honor her words in her question In her question um, is wonderful, but it has led now to many additional questions and many different kind of divergence from this question. So, my goodness, I had it up here. Maybe it'll take me a second to find it. Sorry. Um, so the question essentially is rooted in the concept of false hope was how she asked it. Um, but that has led us, well, it started with false hope, to questions of faux optimism and faux positivity, which I think are three very different statements. Um, and so I wanted to make sure that we asked or we answered, um, we asked her question as she said it. And gosh, now I'm like, now you know that we don't like edit these or anything because I had the question right in front of me and I can't find it. The funny part of this is once she triggered, oh, I'm not using the word trigger. Yeah, don't use the word trigger. Once she prompted, <laughs> sorry, Tom. Once she prompted the, the phrase, it was like everything came together where we started reading about it, and you and I just immediately started sending things back and forth to each other. Both read this on faux optimism, like, yeah. read this about false hope. Um, okay. So, Sarah, with her connectedness, does a really good job of posing a question that that leads to other learning. Yeah. Yeah. So her question, sorry, I finally found it. She said, someone asked me this question a week or two ago, and it has stuck with me. Tess, with your word of the year, and Allie, because I appreciate your perspective, I wanted to see what you thought. Do you think that there is such a thing as false hope? If hope is a feeling of expectation or grounds for believing something good could happen, or the idea and energy that one has about the future. Can you really give someone false hope if any hope, whether false or not, lifts them up? Is any hope a good thing, even if things don't turn out the way we think they should? How would this fit into a strengths mindset? And so I think a lot of the resources that I have seen and we've started to pass back and forth were regarding faux optimism. And optimism and hope are different things. And so that's where I want to get into a little bit of semantics because I, 
as I've sat with her question for the last week or so, I, the hard, the thing that I have really started to reflect on is the fact that hope, since it's so centered in the not yet, right? It's this point in the future that we're then retrospectively drawing back our emotions from. So I'm excited about this event that's going to happen, be it the end of the day, be it tomorrow, be it a year from now, right? That's what where our mind is centered in order to give us energy and excitement in the present, right? It's first future focused and then reflective back to the present. I think that optimism is present focused, projected onto the future. So optimism is first looking at our current circumstances, right? Then looking forward to what is happening or what is what could happen as a result of the current circumstances that you're facing. So it makes me think of agency. Mm. Um, it makes me think of, okay, gosh, Shane is with me all the time. Mm-hmm. So as soon as you said this, um, I had gone and grabbed a couple books from the office so that when I do the Facebook lives, in case I want to like lift them up and yeah. make reference to them. <clears throat> and I grabbed Shane's book. and Which is Making Hope Happen, Dr. <laughs> Shane Lopez. Yes. And as soon as you said that, I thought, I know there's something here. And I opened it. The second page I went to is this ladder. And you can imagine me, you know, when I read books, I put notes next to them and I write next to them. I I literally drew a ladder. So let's put, this is, these are Shane's words. So let's put your ability to move through time to the test. Imagine a ladder with steps numbered from zero at the bottom to 10 at the top. The top of the ladder represents the best possible life for you. The bottom of the ladder represents the worst possible life for you. On which step of the ladder would you say you stand at this time? On which step do you think you'll stand about five years from now? The latter exercise or best possible life question is not something I just dreamed up. It's a tool called Cantrell's Ladder after a psychologist who pioneered opinion polling. Researchers and pollsters have been using it to measure people's expectations worldwide for more than 45 years. No matter where you start, no matter how far off your best possible life seems, if you expect it to be on a higher rung five years from now, you share the first core belief of the hopeful the future will be better than the present. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which all of those questions, right? Cantrell's ladder, the Gallup hope index, those things are ground. They, they ground the questions that we ask students and mentors about hope. So the very last sentence, believing that tomorrow or the future will be better than today is a question we ask explicitly of our students to measure their level of hopefulness. And so that's where, when I think about hope, it's, it's, almost like your feet are planted in the future while your soul is back in the present, right? And I think optimism is the opposite. It's, it's very grounded in this, in the current circumstances while you're being drawn to how those could change. When I think about hope, I don't think any of your current contextual resources or situation have any bearing on what that future could look like, right? Like you could dream up an idea of what your best life looks like, and it could look nothing like the current life that you have. Optimism is bound by your current context, I believe. And this is how like I think of it. And I let me know if I'm explaining this correctly or in a coherent way, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. optimism can only 
you are optimistic that things will shift from where they're at today. So the current resources, your current struggles, all inform your optimistic outlook that tomorrow is going to look different. I hope things will change. I believe things will change. Even those sorts of things come more rooted from an optimistic stance because it's comparing the future to today. Whereas hope is saying, no, this is the future that I want or I am believing for. And therefore, there is more agency, right, in shifting to say, I want to get to that point. It's not dependent on my current circumstances necessarily. So as you were explaining that, I was thinking about why do I love Dr. Fauci? Which, by the way, if Dr. Fauci, if you're listening, <laughs> I adore you. I adore you. I adore you. He's a regular you make me listener. Feel safe. Um, so you're brilliant. You are smart. Um, but I was thinking about why do I like Dr. Fauci? And I believe it's because he uses scientific factual statements of hope that do not allow for wishy-washy optimism. Mm -hmm. So he's, he's solid in his facts. He's hopeful. I mean, you yeah. see that he's hopeful yeah. and he's coming up with hopeful strategic next moves, but he is not giving fake optimism. I think if you watch, so I would not encourage people to do this, but when I have been watching news conferences and I, it doesn't matter whether it's governors or presidential, whatever it is, I'm really watching the behavior in the nonverbals and the statements that are made mm -hmm. because we have a sense for faux optimism. Yeah. We have a sense for false hope. I think we can read right through that now mm -hmm. um, as humans who are walking through this and if someone says, yeah, we're forging ahead and there's no science around it to back mm -hmm. that up, we lose not only our hope, but we lose our faith in that statement at all. Mm -hmm. So if someone gives us a statement based on fact and strategy to get to that hopeful future, we can stay in that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. That probably didn't make a lot of sense, but that's why I yeah. like Dr. Yeah. In conclusion, we love Dr. Fauci. Um, but I think, but I think the case study makes a lot of sense. And the phrase that I really picked out in your description was wishy-washy optimism. And this is not the difference between hope and optimism isn't to downplay the power that optimism does hold because it does hold power, right? To, to have an awareness of our present circumstances and to say, I'm going to rise above it to change them so that things will look a little bit different in the future. Um, that's powerful, but it is, since it is dependent more on your present circumstances, it's more likely to ebb and flow. Whereas because hope is not necessarily tied to your present circumstances, it withstands the ebbs and flows of everyday life. So Dr. Fauci is a great example, right? Death rates continue to rise. Um, uh, you know, testing rates still continue to stay stagnant. We're not having great, you know, all of these things, you know, the facts about, you know, COVID-19, they change every single day. And so if someone is sitting in a pure place of optimism, that will ebb and flow. And therefore being more of a public figure, I think it bleeds out more into optimism for people that are in the public or faux optimism because it leads bleeds into the public space rather than something that's grounded in hope, which won't necessarily be dependent on those things. And so I think from Sarah's initial question, I don't know if I would even say there's a thing as false hope. 
like when I really get into what that means, because if someone's future doesn't turn out to be what they put their hope in, since a lot of it, number one, has to do with agency, but also circumstances, um, there, the hopeful, hopeful sense that we have today still is hope right? Even if the future doesn't turn out to be what we placed our hope in. And so, and I think this is the, the part where I'm really, you know, struggling because communication is 17 and right in the middle for me because I'm sitting in all these things. I'm like, I don't think I'm explaining this very well, but, but this is what, you know, essentially in processing that, that hope is hope, regardless of if it is founded on factual grounds or not, um, on um, rational inquiry or not, on solid antecedent principles or not. Like those things, even if they might be faulty, are still hope, right? They still breed hope. Optimism, by contrast, there can be, I think, such a thing as false optimism, because optimism is based on more of our present circumstances. So knowing that, okay, you know, I think about somebody who maybe lives more in false optimism is probably not actually looking at the facts or they have confirmation bias when revealing the facts. So they're only looking at the facts that give further evidence to their claim for optimism, right? It's almost like putting blinders on to say, I'm not going to read any bad news. So I'm only going to read good news and the celebrations of what's happening, um, which I think is is false optimism, right? Faux optimism. But also because it's that's more grounded in an emotive state than hope is, right? It's more yeah. optimism is more of an emotion. When somebody is living in faux optimism, most likely it's hiding or neglecting or dismissing the really real emotions that they're feeling and they're overcompensating as a result of it. And so one of the resources that I sent you that I wanted to lift up that I really appreciated in this dialogue, and this is again, yet another word, (laughs) um, but it's from um, Tang La Mental Health. And somebody had posted this on social media and I uh, screenshot it for um, our conversation, but it's actually about toxic positivity. And positivity, essentially, it's a very similar to the way that I've been thinking about optimism. And I think positivity and optimism can have differences, but I don't think as substantial of a difference as hope and optimism does or hope and positivity does have. So um, this, uh, again, Tang Law Mental Health wrote, toxic positivity is the excess and ineffective overgeneralization of a happy, happy and optimistic state in any situation. In the denial, minimi- minimization, and invalidation of genuine emotional human experience. When a person exhibits toxic positivity, they deny all and any negative experience that makes us human and lives their life in this way. So really hiding your emotion, dismissing your emotion, feeling guilty about emotions, that's when they're like the beautiful piece of optimism can turn really negative. And, and I think we talked about it. I don't, I think it was maybe just on the last episode where I talked about how we need to be real about how we're feeling. Like we can, yes. we can, we have these great activities and I would encourage everyone to, to process through gratitude, to process through um, the positive things that are coming out of it, to check things off their to-do list, to celebrate the small things, but don't do it if it comes at the expense of sitting in your actual feelings, because that's not going to help anyone process in a healthy way what's happening in the world around us. It's so interesting how 
we see things so differently. So mm-hmm. when I immediately, when I read that and I thought about toxic positivity, I thought about the way that it's being pushed upon others. So I mm-hmm. went to Brene Brown's, the video that's been made, it's an animation of her talking about the difference um, between sympathy and empathy. Mm-hmm. And there's literally like a, it's an elk. I mean, the there's a bear and a fox and an elk mm-hmm. in this video. And the elk is this kind of, you know, here's this person who's hurting and the elk comes down and says, do you want me to make you a sandwich? Like, don't know what to do with this. But also the elk takes a paintbrush and this cloud is over the fox and what the fox is feeling. And this elk takes the paintbrush and tries to just draw the silver lining around it. And that was such a powerful image for me because when I read that and I was thinking about toxic positivity, it's the way that sometimes I feel like others make me feel like, oh, come on, Allison, buck up or get positive about this or tell me something good. And I'm all about the two good things. Yeah. I mean, that's my philosophy when I meet with my mentee. And that's what we should focus on. But I think you're discounting people's level of hope, real yeah. hope, if you don't let them feel what they actually feel mm-hmm. and honor what they're actually going through. That's the dif- difference between you know, rose coloring it and letting people be okay in their feelings. Um, And you're good at help keeping me accountable about that too, because I tend to get down on myself if I'm not coming around with the, this is fine. We can figure it out. Growth mindset. Um, The other thing, when I saw this question from Sarah and the question was around false hope, I immediately went to my strengths learning and the way that strengths learning connected so much for me was to think back to my younger self. There was false hope for elementary Allison to think that she was going to be a basketball star. Hmm. That was not realistic. Now, I will tell you that I believed with all of my being And I hoped with all of my agency of hope and I had optimism and I tried and I practiced growth mindset that nothing I could do could make me an athlete. And when I look at the learning of strengths and the owning of my authentic self, Mm -hmm. it made my reality more clear and it made me get really lasered in on what my strengths actually were. And that was where the real hope was. It was in using my strengths to be my most successful self, Mm -hmm. sharing that mission with other people, giving other people permission to be their most authentic self. And that's funny because that's the word we're going to talk about today on on Facebook Live. But faux optimism, I can read right through that in a second. That's that. And I'm more likely to be able to read it in others than I probably read it within myself. My kids are so good at calling me out on this, Sean in particular. Because when, and I think I mentioned this on Jen and Millie, when I tried to say, Sean, seriously, you know, I know you're upset about having to leave the fraternity. I know that this and this and this, um, you know, but think there are people that we know that are losing their, their business. He got so mad and he said, why can't you just let me feel what I want to feel and not make me feel like crap about it. And the second he said that, I realized that I wasn't following the practice that I believe in, which is not to be promoting false hope or faux optimism. But I do think 
was a long way to go back to that. When I read Sarah's question, my first immediate thought is there is such a thing as false hope and middle school Allison Horn can tell you all about it. So I totally understand, but I think I disagree because your feeling of hope was just as valid. Because the likelihood, there is no such thing as a 0% chance that you were going to become an athlete. There is not. And I know you and I know your skills <laughs> and I know your hand-eye coordination. But there was still a chance, even if it was a minute chance. And that chance is where hope lies, right? You talk all the time about the stories of the amazing things that hopeful kids can do. And if you look at yes. their current situations, the probability was probably the same probability of you becoming an athlete, right? And so, I think probably where I, yeah, probably what I should have said more clearly is maybe the false hope was because I wasn't willing to be totally authentic at the time. Mm. It was based on my last name and the expectations mm. of my family and my, you know, cousin superstardom. Those kinds of things built my reality. Sure. It wasn't until I got truly authentic in who I was. When mm. I look back and think it was false hope because it was probably wasted time in my mind, mm. wasted time and energy trying to be someone that I wasn't. But I don't, and I have mentors ask me this a lot. So if my mentee, you know, we're talking about what I want to do someday. And my mentee says, you know, I'm, I'm going to be an NBA uh, basketball player. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about this in the concept of purpose, we talk about identifying what you love mm -hmm. and how can you build upon that? To me, that's great use of hope. Yeah, I agree. It's, you know, you love this. Tell me why you love this. Let's look at all the careers mm -hmm. that would involve basketball because you love basketball so much. Or let's talk about all the um, all the pieces that are possible in building a career and a life around what you love and believe in and are passionate about. Mm -hmm. But if I was to look across from my mentee and say, you're right, you will be an NBA star. That, I think, would be different. Yeah, I would agree. I think there's a big difference, right? That, and I, yeah, I guess it's so interesting because I, when I think about your situation of wanting to become an athlete, it did not come to pass, but that did not invalidate the reality of the level of hope that you had when you were in middle school, even though that future did not come to pass, right? I wouldn't then reflexively label that having false hope because those the level of hope that you had was very real, was very measurable, was a present reality at that moment, even though it did not come to pass. And and so the same thing, I mean, my my mentee wants to become the next Gabby Douglas, right? It's a form of representation, like she sees this awesome African-American woman and she is that successful. And she's like, I want to be that. She's not a gymnast. <laughs> she's not like, you know, but there is still a chance that she could. Right. And so who am I to say no? But I follow the practices of what else do you love? Right. What else? And so it doesn't have to be targeted on one thing. Right. Yes, right now the agency is towards her effort and energy. Her mind is towards being the next Gabby Douglas. 
But that's that point in the future. And if that shifts, that's okay. It doesn't mean the hope that she's feeling right now to become that is less valid or less real. And, and so I think that's where, for me, the difference lies, right? All of our futures will shift and change, but her measured level of hope right now, Mm -hmm. even though the probability that it wouldn't, wouldn't happen is much higher than the probability of it actually happening, doesn't invalidate the experience that she's having now. And so that's why I would say false hope is always a reflexive and retrospective label. And that's why I, I have a hard time with the term itself. You can't apply false hope to something in the present because the probability that that will come to pass, even though it's slim, is still a probability. There's still a pro- likelihood, a probability that it will happen, even if it's less than 1% of a chance that you were to become an athlete or that she's going to become the next Gabby Douglas. And I don't well, know. So that, that, that backs up what I just said backs yeah. up your position. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I'm could, like, I feel like I we're talking the same it. thing. Yeah. But <laughs> I, I couldn't call it false hope at the time, but in, in looking at it backwards or towards the past, it, it definitely felt like waste of time. It also felt like someone else's expectation. Mm-hmm. And that's what took me to the, the strength lens. It wasn't until I recognized that Input communication, strategic woo, empathy is me, pure me, and could own that and see that. And by the way, that was 2009 when I could discover that this was the best of me. I, I still can, I still remember seeing those words and thinking, oh my gosh, this is such positive language to describe that I ask too many questions, I talk too much. I overthink everything. I think I have to be friends with everybody. And why are you crying? I mean, that's, it was such positive language. It was such a, like my mind just was blown. But then I started thinking all this research points to, if you use these going to help you be your most successful self. Mm -hmm. And that was so powerful. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's maybe it a little bit of a difference too, because I guess from my definition of hope, if there are external expectations being placed on you, that is not authentic hope. So I would say the same thing about my parents encouraging me to become a doctor, right? Like a physician, like that was other people's expectations because they said, you're smart, you can do anything. So therefore, consequently, in conclusion, become a doctor, right? Like that was, that. those are the expectations, you know, that, you know, I, I interpreted from the message that I was hearing from the adults in my life, um, teachers and parents and, and that I could do anything. And so that was the ultimate. So that's what I wanted to do. Right. And so my hope. So non-authentic hope. Is that, am I quoting you correctly? I don't know what non-authentic hope, gosh, this is so rich and deep. And all I want to do is create definitions for things because I don't know if non-authentic um, <laughs> encapsulates that. I, took the question. I would say authentic, I would say authentic or not authentic. I would say hope that is influenced by the expectations of others and not self expectations is inauthentic hope. So that's how I took the question. Okay. False hope. Okay. okay. <laughs> Circle back. It's such a good question. That's I'm so how glad. I took the yeah. question. Yeah. If hope mm. comes from a place of authentic strengths, it can't be false. 
if it comes from other people's expectations or you trying to fit into something that you don't, that also. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yes, I would agree. I would agree. Um, I, in a, in a sense, right. But I don't know that I would label it even with the word hope. And I would say that's not hope at all. So you shouldn't even use the word in the definition. And so maybe that's the semantics that I'm getting caught up on because hope is a very weighty, very deep and very powerful thing to possess. And so to apply that in a way that does not breed its definition. So other people's expectations being put on you or in reflection, it didn't come to pass. So therefore it's false. Um, That's where I think I have a lot of reverence for the word itself and what it means. And so I have a hard time with it being labeled as false. Um, But when did that happen for you? And think about when, think about your first exposure to that word and who often uses it the most in your early exposure and in what way? I mean, hope became a completely different word to me. When I learned about strengths, I learned about Gallup's research, I met Shane, I learned from Shane. Hope had been a word that had been thrown around as, I hope hope you're going to do do this, this, Allison Marie Horn. Yep. And I think that's, that would be a, and and I would agree, like I was thinking my first introductions to the word itself were in, I hope you have a good day, or I hope you do this, right? Which does not have the same weight and connotation, like there should be two definitions to hope. And so I think I grew in my respect for it when I had to understand how to measure it, right? That this is a very present reality in people's lives of all ages that we can measure, that we can put, um, perspective to that we can see its effects in real time but also in the future about how this changes people's future and then their present reality in turn and so I think it came from Shane's work it came from the work that we do in teammates it came from um, my own faith walk and deciding and settling once and for all where I'm putting my hope in when it comes to my eternity like those sorts of things in my life that have shaped what it means for me um And so, yeah, I have a, I, and I say it, you know, I hope you have a good day or I hope I say it in that way all the time, but I think that's a very different definition. I think that's a wish that's desire, which is very different than the reality of hope, the energy and excitement we have about the future. So there are so many ways that, um, and because it's your word of the year, I think this is great dialogue, but there are so many ways that that word is used that we could call it optimism we could call it a wish we could call it a should word yeah we could call it all kinds of things but the way that you know that word and the way that I came to know that word Mm -hmm. is a word that speaks to I mean in a lot of ways science yeah 100% I mean it's it's comparable to how the word love has been so reduced to uh hobbies and interests Oh, I love to do this, or I love this, or wouldn't we love this? Like that word has become so washed and watered, and now it it hardly holds meaning. And I think the same is true for hope. The same is true for a lot of words uh, that it takes energy and effort to recapture the 
intent and initial meaning, the depth of the word itself and the reality of possessing what comes as a result of it. Um, And, you know, when you see and when you hear the word love everywhere, it means nothing when it becomes universal, right? When it's applied everywhere, the same is true for hope. And so I just even love, yeah, I, it's so simple, but so deep. And so it's been so, it's been so purpose centering for me to have it as a word for this year and a place of concentration. And it's crazy to think, I think we've talked about this a few times, your word of choice and my word of hope, how when we were deciding those in December, January, we had no idea. It's Mm -hmm. application in this way, right? Like we need hope more than ever and our choices matter more than ever. Well, and I believe that I choose hope. Yeah. I choose hope as an agency pathway for me to utilize and know my best self in order to be able to help others do the same. It's for me, hope is almost that um, oxygen that drops down, um, you know, in the plane that if you aren't, you have to apply it to yourself first before you can share it with others. Mm -hmm. And when I think about just mental health wise, what looking forward to the nexting piece, which is a part of, you know, really the practice of hope building, but even the, the pathway of nexting, we're all doing that right now so much and it is helping us so much, but we don't all know how to name it. And I think what you and I chatted about today is a great reminder that even a word we assume or a question we assume the words can be taken differently. Absolutely. Um, So to me, false hope would come from someone else's pushing their, their belief for your future onto you, Mm -hmm. um, which kind of tied back then to how you named it. And that you always do such a great job with past, present, future um, facing language Mm -hmm. that can I mean, I know you're not a fan of many metaphors, but, and it's not a metaphor. It's just a way to be able to see, to see it, to be able to see it and see how there's a difference between optimism. There's a difference between hopeful optimism. There's a, I mean, imagine when we start adding the, the adverb adjective, um, additional phrases onto it, we could do this for hours and hours yeah (laughs) yeah but Mm -hmm. I think that I'll go back to the latter image for me hope is right now so centered in authenticity Mm -hmm. and so when I think about do I believe that five years from now my life will be better than it is today with absolute 100% certainty (laughs) um because I believe that I am getting to know myself again, in a way that I could never have done before. Mm. So for me, hope is so directly tied to authentic self Mm. um, and allowing people to be their authentic self. So I'm a-okay if somebody gets on a call and says, well, sometimes what I do in our, our girls, we have a group text. Someone will say something and my friend Kim, she is the best. She'll just strike it right down. But she's the one that, you know, goes to a a tailgate and if there's potato salad she's like I'm gonna shut this down (laughs) so she's that same way sometimes so someone will send a text saying you know 
this and this happened today. And Kim's like, oh yeah, well, and she'll throw mm-hmm. some fact out there. And then I send the picture of Debbie Downer from Saturday Night Live. Nice. Um, I'm a-okay with her doing that because I think people need to be able to be as real as humanly possible right now if mm-hmm. we want to have any hope for the future. Yeah. And that's yeah. why I love Dr. Fauci. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. In conclusion, <laughs> the entire <laughs> summation of this episode is we love Dr. Fauci. <laughs> okay, but what do we want to ask people to think on? I mean, I'm thinking about this question, what does hope mean to you, right? How do you define hope in your own life? And then how are you living in hope right now? Would you clarify, add, adjust any of those questions? No, I love that. I also love, whoops, love that you brought up love as an overused word. What are other overused words? What words are being overused? I overuse awesome. I know it. I can own it. I do. And I overuse, (laughs) I overuse love. Um, But I'd love to hear from our listeners. What other words are, in your opinion, overused so that the, the depth and the, the heart of the word gets diluted. I like that. Also, I still want people to keep sending us shout outs. Yeah, for sure. Gosh, what a great way for us to share. Yep, I would agree. Small business shout outs. Okay, awesome. Okay, so thinking about the question, what does hope mean to you? How do you define it? How are you living in hope in our present circumstances? What other words besides hope and love are being overused? And then give us your small business shout outs. Any other businesses you want us to lift up? I love that. Awesome. Well, I think those are some great um, points for activation post this episode. So thanks, everybody, for tuning in to episode 67 of Jen and Millie. If you enjoyed today's conversation, consider sharing this episode with a friend. To interact with us and share the responses to the questions that we posed, follow us on Instagram at Jen and Millie. That's at G-E-N-N-A-N-D-M-I-L-L-I-E. And the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are exclusively that of Allison Horn and Tess Starman and may not reflect the views of Teammates Mentoring Program at large. I will say that if you um, respond to this episode, um, we might be working to um, to create a uh, top tier listener happy hour. So if you'd like to join us, we might have some great Jen and Millie-esque questions and conversation starters for our time together. Um, I am so looking forward to that. That's giving me a little bit of nexting to to see when that will come out. So I hope that you um, respond. If you'd like to be a part of that, let us know. um, And um, we will definitely look forward to it. So thanks so much for tuning in. Until next time.